Elementary students and middle school students are dismissed to their classrooms. Before we dive in, I want to take a minute to be honest with you all and kind of give you a glimpse into my life and what my reality has been the past few weeks. Um, but first off, as, um, as most of you know, if you've been here the past month or so, we've been diving into the book of Psalms and looking at how all 150 Psalms can basically be broken into three categories, Psalms of orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. And for the past couple of weeks, I've been living in a state of disorientation because my father-in-law recently passed away. I knew Roger for 14 years, and he was like a dad to me. And trying to comfort my wife as she grieves the loss of her father, and trying to navigate conversations with our three little kids about their papa being gone, has been really difficult and physically and emotionally exhausting. Thankfully, we have found comfort in knowing that he's no longer suffering from the cancer and that at this moment, he's rejoicing with Jesus. I got to baptize him a month before he passed. And so we know he's with God and that we will one day see him again. And so I want to say just on behalf of my family, all my kids are sick, so my wife's not here Thank you to all of you that have brought us meals, gave us flowers, brought gifts to us, asked to watch our kids so Sarah and I could have some alone time. You guys really are our family, and so thank you very much to all of you that have showed up in big ways during this time. You know, sometimes life can just punch us really hard in the face, can it? So much so that one circumstance can just rock our world and disorient, disorient every area of our life. At other times, life might seem fairly orienting, like everything is as it should be. We don't get those days <laughs> that much in this broken world. But I would say that most often we live with orientation, disorientation, and reorientation simultaneously. Perhaps your marriage is great, but things at work are looking rough. Maybe you're killing it in school, but there's some serious drama going on with some of your close friends, and it's causing you a lot of distress. Rarely, if ever, will all areas of our lives be flourishing and firing on all cylinders. Thankfully, we serve a God who comforts us and gives us the strength to endure whatever hardship life throws our way. And so, as Kenny said a little bit ago, I'm excited to dive in today as we get to immerse ourselves in a psalm of orientation, a psalm of King David, written by King David, that proclaims God's greatness and goodness. So, go ahead and open your Bibles with me to Psalm 145. It's page 898 in your pew Bible. And I have asked my friend Jeff Bridgman to read our passage today. Yeah. Psalm 145, the whole chapter. 
Psalm 145, a psalm of praise of David. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of your glory, of the glory of your kingdom, and speak of your might, so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who, all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all who look to you and uh, the eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears the cry and saves and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Thank you, Jeff. The language in this psalm is beautiful, if you didn't pick up on that. This is one of those parts of scripture where you could almost take any single verse and print it off and hang it on something beautiful in your living room, right? Or turn it into the screensaver on your phone. It's just rich with incredible truths of God. One author said that this psalm is like a multifaceted diamond revealing God's nature. I honestly felt silly at times preparing this message. Um, I was sitting in my office thinking, what could I possibly say that's going to add value to this? I mean, isn't it just clear? What could I say that's going to be worth listening to? It's such a clear example of how incredible it is. So we're going to dive into a few little parts here. So David begins, if you look at verses 1 and 2, he begins by proclaiming how, how he will adore God. He says, I will exalt you every day. I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. And then in verse 3, we see a little bit of a shift from how David will praise him to focusing more on the many attributes and just the characteristics of God. And he lists several incredible truths about God's nature in this chapter. So I want to hear from you guys. What are some of the attributes or characteristics that you see in this psalm? There's a ton of them. Just start calling them out. Just start shouting them out. Mercy. He's, he's compassionate. Yes. What else? 
trustworthy, righteous, glorious, he's near, what else? There's so many. He's faithful. I put together a slide of what I came across through a quick glance. I probably even missed a few. Check this out. God is great, mighty, glorious, majestic, abundantly good, gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love, good to all, trustworthy, faithful, and righteous. And here's what God does. Wonderful works, awesome works, and great deeds. He satisfies and he saves. Keep that slide up there for a minute. That's the God that we serve. That's our Savior and our King. He is the champion in the corner of the ring for us. I want to ask you guys, what stirs in your heart as you look at this list of who God is and what he does? What does this do inside of you as you recall the God that we serve? The floor is open. What stirs in your heart as you look at this list of our God? Some of you guys are taking photos of the slide. I love it. Yes. Okay. 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 Yeah, sometimes this can make you sad because you realize how often we forget these truths. Absolutely. Okay, what else? Gets, him, gets you excited to get to know this God better and know his heart. Good. Anyone else? Brittany. Good, talks about how, reminds her of stories in scripture and her own life. When life seems impossible, God shows up, right? When I read that list to myself this past week, it, I had to like really slow down because I was just overwhelmed. I was like, oh my gosh, it just goes on and on and on of who he is and how overwhelmingly great he is. And to consider that Jesus Christ fully embodied all of these traits is mind-blowing. Why would I not entrust myself to a God like that? A God that picked 12 losers and used those men to change the world. A God that sent his son to live among us for 33 years and pay a penalty that was ours to pay. In Jesus Christ, we see God's power and goodness on full display. In the midst of grief, he's compassionate. When life does not make sense, as someone said, he's trustworthy. 
when we're lost and hurting, he saves and he satisfies. I know some of you guys here today are fans of the Christian author Paul David Tripp. Um, we've used his teachings and some ministry trainings here. I like to quote him um, occasionally in my sermons. And he refers to Psalm 145 as the psalm that changed his life. Specifically verse 4, he says, rocked his world as he encountered what God called him to and what he's called all of us to, really. Verse 4, if you look at it, it says, one generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. Read that verse again to yourself. The NLT Bible translation, I like this, it says, let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. If you've ever wanted to know what your purpose was or what was responsibility God has entrusted to you, this is it. Okay, I promise you, this is it. Our job, our responsibility as followers of Jesus Christ is to tell the next generation of God's greatness and his goodness. Tell it with our words and live it with our lives. We, we proclaim his goodness to others by the way that we forgive. Are we quick to forgive? We proclaim his goodness by the way that we navigate conflict with humility. We proclaim his goodness by our courage to be vulnerable, by our willingness to show up and to trust others even though we've been hurt in the past many times, and by having a posture of humility and a spirit of teachability. And something I love about this verse is that it's really the mission statement of our church, if you didn't know that. Our mission at Wellspring, our mission statement is creating a new normal for the next generation. And we create that new normal in the lives of our children and those younger than us by proclaiming the words and the actions of God Almighty. And that's why our stories, guys, that's why our stories are so powerful, okay? If there's one thing that cannot be argued against, it's the story of a transformed life, okay? You can receive all the criticism in the world for following Jesus and all the arguments of why God's dead and all that stuff. But one thing that nobody can take away or disagree with is how the love of God has changed your life. It's indisputable evidence. Look at verses 5 through 7 again. It says, they, God's people, speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. Check out this quote by Louis Giglio. God's glory matters more than anything. If people don't know how great and gracious and good he is, how will they not choose something of lesser value? How will they know he's better than everything else if they don't see him on display in someone like you? I love that. Is the goodness of God on your lips? Is the greatness of God something that you can't help but share with your friends? Or how about this? 
Who are the people in your life that after you spend some time with them, you are compelled to follow Jesus because Jesus so evidently radiates through them? Do you have those people in your life? Are you that person for someone else? You know, this passage got me thinking this week how all people, regardless of what you believe, all people worship something. We are worshipful beings, okay? We cannot not worship. People worship all kinds of things. Money, sex, fame, success, recognition. They worship their spouse. You can worship your kids. That's a very real thing. You name it. You're going to worship something. You're going to entrust your heart to something. You're going to stake your life to something. Why not have it be the most glorious, powerful, loving being in the universe? Stake your life to that. Pastor John Piper said, if you do not see the greatness of God, then all the things that money can buy become very exciting. If you can't see the sun, you'll be impressed with the streetlight. If you've never felt thunder and lightning, you'll be impressed with fireworks. And if you turn your back on the greatness and majesty of God, you'll fall in love with a world of shadows and short-lived pleasures. So I want to ask you guys a question, and I want some feedback, a question that's not typically dominating conversations. How do you allow yourself to experience God's greatness and goodness? Oh, I see the, the wheels spinning. What are some rhythms, practices, disciplines in your life that help remind you or help you experience God's goodness? Does that make sense? All right, the floor's open. What are some of those things for you? Yes. Okay, good. She says journaling, excuse me, journaling helps her stop, slow down, and write and reflect what God's doing. Good. What else? Okay, asking other people what God's doing in their life and how that encourages your heart, right? Good. What else? Yes. Okay. Okay. Starting every morning, hey, make me aware of how you're moving. Good. Okay. Good. What else? Hey, we're rolling both the maze. Power couple. So thinking of heaven just melts your heart. Okay, awesome. It's hard to beat. Good luck.
Yeah, that's great. She says she, when she slows down and really watches her kids and observes them, she's overwhelmed with God's goodness for the beautiful gift that they are. That's excellent. Um, I've got growing to do in this area, but a few things I do. One of them is something that always reminds me of God's greatness is every time I see a sunset. Anybody else? Three people? Three people like a sunset? Okay, now seven. Cool. Eight. Thank you, Karen. Eight. Nine. Jordan. Nine people like a sunset. Whew. Um, I can be driving. Sarah and I will be in the car, and I'll see a sunset, and I'll just go, would you look at that? <laughs> like, seriously, look at that. That, would you look at that? That is beautiful. <laughs> Whoever did that, that was good. You caught what I was doing. Look at that. I mean, seriously, I'm just like, I, I, I say this a lot. How can you believe there's not a God? That alone is just so beautiful. How can you not think, how can you think that's by accident? And taking time to wonder and just be in awe of a sunset, it just refreshes my heart and reminds me of his goodness. He doesn't have to give that gift to us, but he does every single day. Every single day. Another thing I do, and some of you are going to laugh at this, is I love enjoying food. Yeah, you know, and I mean that. When I eat delicious food, I can't help but make sounds and have a commentary. <laughs> so, anybody ever seen the movie, What About Bob? When he's at the dinner scene, literally, that's me. If I, if I take a good bite of chicken or steak, it's just, mm, mm. Oh, my goodness. Oh, God, this is so good. Mm. <laughs> just, I mean, sometimes it's like, dude, shut up. But, guys, I say this all the time. Food is such a gift from God. We take it for granted. It is such a gift from God. He could have made it so boring and gave us like three or four options. But he gives us this plethora of options to choose from that we can experiment with, right? He didn't have to do that for us. But it's another way of him loving us and being good to us. And guys, the last verse I kind of want to hone in on is kind of different, excuse me, different from the majority of this psalm. It's verse 14, if you want to look at that again. It says, the Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. He upholds or he lifts up all who fall. And the Hebrew word for uh, fall here has some roots in meaning uh, abandon, attacked, collapse, (laughs) deserted, and failed. The Lord lifts up those who are abandoned and attacked. He upholds those who have been deserted. He upholds those who have failed. Okay? These words describe disorientation, when life doesn't make sense, when it doesn't seem that God is in control or perhaps that God isn't even good. Take heart in knowing he will uphold you because it's who he is, that long list we looked at earlier. It's who he is and it's what he does. So if you need some encouragement today, here it is. I jotted down some notes about God. Our God formed the earth, the galaxies, and the universe. He created man from dirt. He put breath in our lungs. He parted the Red Sea. He sent food from heaven. He raises the dead. He casts out demons. He turns water into wine. 
He feeds 5,000 people with hardly any food. He calms the sea, walks on water. He rose from the dead, and the greatest miracle of all, he makes his home in the heart of every single person who would open their heart to him. And that's a short list. If those things don't make your heart come alive a little bit, I'm not sure what does or what will. And maybe you're here today and you're thinking, dude, I don't even know where I stand or what I fully believe. And that's okay. We're glad you're here. The fact that you're here today shows that you're at least curious. Curious of who God is and maybe what his intentions might be for you. So if that's you, I want to just ask some rhetorical questions to maybe help you consider some things. Where do you seek fulfillment and satisfaction? And have you found fulfillment in those things? Or do you wake up each morning thinking, there's got to be more to life than this? What do you place your hope in? Where do you turn for peace and joy? Is it a hope in your current physical circumstances? Or is it a hope that seems to always remain even when life is falling apart? If you live with a sense of there's got to be more to life than this, or perhaps you're looking for some meaning, or if you desire to be loved in a way that is beyond comprehension, consider turning to Jesus. Take time and wrestle with some of the things that we've discussed today. Go to him in prayer and say, hey, God, I'm trying to figure some things out. I don't know where I stand. I don't know what I believe, but I know there's got to be more to life than what I'm living for. Would you reveal yourself to me? Show me who you are and open my heart to you. A prayer like that can transform your life and lead you to the beginning of discovering the goodness of God. And guys, here in a minute as we come to the communion table, we have an opportunity to be still before God and to respond to his word today. There is no argument against God's goodness and his greatness. There's no argument of his character. He's worthy of every ounce of praise that we could ever give. All the praise of all people of all time still wouldn't be adequately enough to give him what he deserves and what he's worthy of, right? And we just spent close to 25, 30 minutes examining a psalm of orientation, praising God for his faithfulness and goodness and acknowledging that he's in control. And really, even the practice of communion itself, it again, orients our hearts back to Jesus. It's a way that we turn, we turn to him, set our focus heart, and full attention on him as a response for who he is to us. We're going to have communion in a few minutes, and um, I'm going to close us in prayer. And so, you know, if um, you can come forward, take a piece of bread, and dip it in the juice, and we also have a gluten-free option if you need that as well. Let your response today as you come forward and take communion, if you're not ready to do that, that's fine. But let your response as you reflect on what we discussed today, I hope it's a response of gratitude and praise. That will in turn lead to a life of surrender for who God is 
and what he's done for us. So I'm going to close us in prayer, but instead of making up some words, I'm going to read a poem. I'm going to read part of a poem written by Isaac Wimbley. And so you can close your eyes if you want and let this soak in. And once I finish reading, we'll have a minute or two of silence before the ushers will dismiss you to come take communion. If there are words for him, then I don't have them. You see, my brain has not yet reached the point where it could form a thought that could adequately describe the greatness of my God. He is beyond comprehension, further than imagination, constant through generations, king of every nation. But if there are words for him, then I don't have them. My heart extols the Lord, blesses his name forever. He has won my heart, captured my mind, and has bound them both together. He has made himself the object of my sight, flooding me with mercies in the morning, drowning me with grace in the night. But if there are words for him, then I don't have them. The firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, giving nothingness formation. Praise him for his life. Praise him for his death. He is the risen king. Lift your voice and sing, for one day he will return for us. And we will finally be united with our Savior for eternity. Eternity. So it's not just words that I proclaim, for my words point to the word, and the word has a name. Hope has a name. Joy has a name. Peace has a name. Love has a name. And that name is Jesus Christ. Praise his name forever. Amen.